that just sounds better and better each week, doesn't it, as you kind of hone in to that week after week. If we've not met before, uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're here last week, we talked about the growing problem that we have. We always knew this venue was going to be too small for us. We folded ourselves into JMA. Boy, have we got a capacity problem on a Sunday morning. Uh, last week, we went to Y for a day as a staff team to plan. Uh, Reading Girls School also wrote to us. Uh, saying if we want to go back in January, we can. Uh, however, we need to make a decision quickly. If we don't go, others will. Uh, we've also had some prophetic words. And so on Monday night of this week, the elders and deacons are meeting. They say, God, what are you saying to us? We don't want to go back to where we were, but they have a bigger car park and a bigger hall. But actually, sometimes it's not doing the sensible thing. Uh, we're not pursuing wisdom. We're pursuing obedience to God. And so we just need to... Uh, hear from God over the next few days. God willing, Monday night will be part of that. What is God saying to us? These are great problems to have, but this capacity problem, uh, is it two meetings here? Do we take the youth out? We talked, remember what I said last week, that is still live, we're on it. What a great problem to have, trying to figure out how, because there's people aren't yet back home. If you're online, uh, the room is way full enough. There's some more stuff we can do. But we're just saying what God is saying. These are good things to have, aren't they? Uh, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come now upon us. If you're distracted now, I'm flicking my fingers. I'm trying to get your attention, not to me, but to the Holy Spirit. This is not, you know, snuggle up your jacket, cruise through the next 25 minutes until we start singing again. God has something for us all. Now, I know what you like. I know, yeah, I'm taking notes on my phone. You're on Facebook. I get all of that. Listen. God is going to speak to you through the passage of Scripture I'm reading. And you have a part to play in that. And, and I want you to be good soil this morning. So give it a quick turnover now whilst I pray. So you, these seeds of the gospel penetrate you and germinate for, the, for your good and for the benefit of our town. Most of the town aren't yet in the room, are they? Come on, let's go. Holy Spirit, sharpen us now. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, awaken us. Uh, may my words... Would you own them and may they come and just turn up the soil of our hearts, change the way that we think, help us to see the Father and Son in greater measure. Come now, we ask this for the glory of God and for the benefit of this town and us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, we're continuing this morning in Daniel chapter 7. I've entitled it, Dreaming in Exile. Dreaming in Exile. And just to cue it all up for us, don't forget, Daniel is in exile. Uh, he was once part of a mighty nation. Remember, they started in Egypt as slaves. God drew them out, established them in their promised land. Uh, David was a great military ruler. After him was Solomon. Uh, and then the temple was built. They had a cultural and religious center. The nations came to them, but then they rebelled. And other nations swept him, picked up men like Daniel and took them to exile in Babylon. So we need to keep reminding ourselves, Daniel, in one sense, feels very small because he's now in exile. He's literally been picked up, transported, given a new name and learning new language and culture. He feels very small and yet deep in his soul is a sense of greatness. The glory of God is deep within his worldview. 
So just remember that. Remember also when I talk about dreams here in the West, I went on Wiki, so I'm clearly an expert on dreams now. I'm told the dreams, we're told uh, we have images and we have that touch our emotions and our, uh, we have these kind of senses and sensations in our dreams. Apparently almost all of us dream uh, during our REM cycle, rapid eye movement. I told you I was an expert now. For about 15 to 20 minutes, for over two hours a night, whether you remember them or not. So all of us, uh, our Wiki tells us, are all dreamers. And it's a way we're told of our minds processing it. We don't actually know. Uh, we're guessing at what's going on. But something happens to most of us for 15 to 20 minutes, bursts for two hours a night. Most of us are largely unaware of. But when I'm talking about dreams today, I'm talking about God speaking to Daniel and God speaking to us through dreams. And God is still doing that today. And we are called to be a people who, yes, are in exile, but we are dreaming for Jesus. Okay, so there's something I want you to catch this morning as we read about a dream that happened thousands of years ago in a context we don't quite understand, but we're learning about as we move forward. Are you good for that? This is going to be that kind of morning. You're going to catch as much as you teach, and then hopefully we're going to finish, and the Holy Spirit is going to move in this place this morning. I am confident that is what he's going to do. That is why I'm showing my heart to you that we take everyone with us. And online, I pray and I'm confident that over even the internet, live or on catch-up in the week, you're going to encounter God with us because we are one people, one church, part of what God is doing in the town of Reading. And you are important and valuable to us. I'd like to give you a hug, but I really can't. And you'll probably call back because I'd be a super spreader and I don't want to do that. Here we go. Right. Daniel 7, 1 to 8. I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. David Devonish, uh, a spiritual father to many of us in the room. He said uh, the New Living Translation uh, is we should be reading from. I was very vindicated because so, I tend to use that on a Sunday when I'm preaching. Daniel 7 verses 1 through to 8. And we're going to have a view, a terrestrial view now of four terrifying beasts. So I'm going to read it and then an image is going to come up afterwards. So Daniel 7 1 through to 8. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a, a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up devour the flesh of many people. And then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. And then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. 
As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. So in this dream, this terrestrial vision, this earthly vision that Daniel is seeing, he sees four terrifying beasts, which we later find in the chapter are four kingdoms as they are interpreted. And what he sees, first of all, is that they come out from the sea. Now the sea is a symbol, it's a place of chaos. The winds blow and the sea is churned and beasts emerge. No reason why. It just happens. And in those days, uh, animals were used as symbols for nations. Much like today, the Kiwis is the nation of And the Springboks is That same kind of symbolism of languages was, they would understand a, uh, an, an animal could be pointing to a, a people, a nation. And the first one is see, we see a lion. And this lion has wings. And these wings are plucked off and it stands on its hind feet. And as I've been reading around it, it seems as if this is reminiscent of what happens of King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember in chapter 4 that somehow Daniel is seeing a vision of, of, what, of Nebuchadnezzar, that he was this great lion, this beastly thinking, and then somehow the wings are plucked off and he stands up with a right mind and then gives glory to God. And some of the scholars I've just been reading around this week, they seem to think maybe this first line is Daniel seeing that, that Babylon is like this great line that swept everybody up, Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. And then there's this other bear emerges. You can you imagine 250 kilograms of Assyrian bear running at you with his snarling mouth and paws? And it kind of rushes in on you. And this bear has got ribs in its mouth. It has an insatiable appetite for more. And even though it's got an insatiable appetite, it said, go and kill more people. And, and Daniel is seeing this bear rushing at me. And the commentators are just wondering, is this kind of lopsided bear? Is this the Medes and the Persians? Remember, uh, the the Medes and the Persians haven't yet attacked Daniel. He's saying, is this the Mede and the Persian Empire? Because uh, the Persians were the stronger side. This sense of this bearer, this great empire is going to rush through and bring more power and destruction to people. And then there's this leopard. This next beast that emerges, this other great kingdom of speed and mobility. The leopard obviously is clearly very fast, but it's got four heads and four wings, so it's very mobile. And then there's talk amongst the scholars, well, maybe this is pointing to Alexander the Great. No, it turns out you can't call him Alexander the Great anymore. It's Alexander the Greek. Because no one wants to say that his empire and what he did was great. So maybe this was Alexander the Greek. And it was a prophetic talking to the great Greek empire. First it was the, the Babylonians, and then the Medes and the Persians, and then the Greek empire. And of course, they were followed by a great and terrifying empire, so the scholars tell us. One that is terrifying and frightening and strong. This beast with ten horns. In those days, a horn was a symbol of strength. So most animals had two horns. So if you had two horns, you were strong. This beast that's emerging that cannot be described is five times stronger than anything else. That it crushes and it destroys. 
And one of these, three of these horns are displaced by a really small horn that's arrogant, that speaks, and has eyes like a man. Displaces three and blasphemes against God. And later, to read on the chapter, attacks the people of God. Many of the scholars have thought, is this the Roman Empire, which was incredibly brutal, that had no regard for those that it colonized? And so there's lots of talk from the interpreters about this, what's happening. And we need to remember, Daniel is seeing visions of these great kingdoms that's interpreted later in chapter 7, and empires that are pulling through, and he's watching it all, knowing there's destruction. He has been the recipient of an empire picking him up and displacing him. And he's seeing other great things. Let's read on in Daniel chapter 7, 9 to 12. So he sees all of this. And then he says, Having seen these great beasts, I watched as thrones were put in place. And the ancient one, maybe in your translation it says ancient of days. And the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little one's boastful speech, little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. So Daniel, first of all, he sees the four beasts and then his gaze is captured by the ancient one. He sees many thrones, all of them are empty but one and then the ancient one sits down in that throne and his clothing of being white, he is pure and he is wise and he is powerful and he is just and there's like lava flowing like if you've seen the news in the canary islands of those uh, lava flows destroying all that goes in front of him he's he's got this river of fire coming out bringing purity and judgment and he is seated uh, when a judge is seated that's when he's in court when you're in court and when a judge is walking around you don't have to worry but when he seats that is when he is active and he is an able judge. millions of uh, angels are attentive to him and, and his seat of authority is mobile. It can move with these uh, mobility that it has. And when he moves around, he's always close and can see what's happening and bring his river of fire of justice and purity wherever he pleases. And so the boastful horn that has been usurping the other horns and blaspheming against God is destroyed by the ancient one, the ancient of days, and his authority and his kingdom. And in Daniel's dream continues. This, I love this pictorial language. This, it, it captures our imagination it and our, touches our emotions. So Daniel's dream continues in 7, verse 13 to 14. As my vision continued that night, I mean, I mean this is an epic REM session, isn't it? I mean, it's like, how much cheese did you have, Daniel? As my vision continued that night, I saw someone... Like a son of man, spoiler alert, we all know Jesus took this term. Is anyone just like, yes. Daniel didn't know this, of course. He didn't know those big empires were going to come through. We knew the Medes and the Persian. We knew there's going to be writing on the wall. We know about Alexander the Greek. We know the horrors of Rome and what it did to the people of God. 
and other subsequent empires that have been raised up. But Daniel didn't know any of that. But he said, I saw someone, he's describing, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So that people of every race and nation, this is us, so let's look around, and language, would obey him. Obey him. His rule is eternal. It's never going to end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So Daniel sees these, from all of this turmoil and the beasts, he sees the ancient one bringing justice, and he sees a kingdom that established that is eternal. And the Son of Man, like a Son of Man, is enthroned over all, all peoples, all territories. And it's everlasting. And then it will be a kingdom of obedience. Everyone's going to do what the king says. And there's peace, security, and joy in that. Freedom in obedience. It's an amazing dream. Who has dreamed like that? Daniel does. So what does this show us? What does this show us? First of all, I just want to quickly talk about dreams. It's not primarily about dreams, but it's about a dream. God speaks to us in dreams. God speaks to us in dreams. Joel 2 tells us that young men are going to, old men are going to dream dreams, young men see visions, and uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured on all of us. There's not a lot in the New Testament about dreams, but it's part of how God speaks to us. I had a dream uh, about three weeks ago. I used to do sea fishing. Has anyone done sea fishing? You go bait digging on the foreshore. I was after King Ragworm. Does that mean anything to anyone? It will to Keith Holland and Mick. And when you dig for ragworm, you start digging, and they're like long old worms with legs either side, and they move dead quick. And what you're trying to do is dig deep enough and quick enough to pull out the ragworm hole. That's the idea, get the whole worm out. In my dream, I had a mark here. I picked it, and I realized, oh, there's something there. I pulled it. I mean, it was the grossest scream ever. I pulled it out, and it was like a king ragworm. And I pulled it, and, th- and it was, I was revolting, like a revisal dream. It was revolting. And I pulled it out, and I thought, what does that mean? And I knew it was from God. And then a few days later, I was taking the staff team to Peterborough. I was the nominated driver. It's like traffic chaos nightmare. I'm making all my comments in the car about traffic because I'm impatient. And I then realized I've made the whole team in the car feel uncomfortable. My wife's been telling me this for years. It's hard to hear it. But when Scott tells me I'm impatient, it's just ugly and awkward. You know, we had that moment. Sean, you've made us all feel awkward. And I found that God gave me interpretation of the dream. I'd had a worm of impatience deep inside me. I was impatient in the shops. I was impatient in traffic. I was impatient at airports. And I was even getting to the point, I'm impatient with people that I interrupt you when you talk to me. And the root of that is, I just think I'm more important than you. And God just, you, you, that is uncomfortable. But I thought, it's true. And it's a massive grace moment for me. There's no shame or condemnation in that. It's not a surprise, is it? You're as impatient as I am. Don't judge me. (laughs) But I felt like it's a grace moment. And since then, I've just had traffic everywhere. (laughs) It's just like, oh, come on. Honestly, I'm growing in grace. I'm on a journey. It was deep in my guts. God speaks to us in dreams. In the summer, I had another dream. I knew it was from God. 
In this dream, I was taking my family uh, overseas. And uh, I was taking my family somewhere, and someone spoke to us. And I trusted them, and they led me somewhere. And then they captured us, ransomed us, and wanted the church to a certain outcome from the church unless they released us. And uh, I just prayed about it, and I felt God said, that is a warning for you, be alert for this term. That no one tries to force an outcome from the church by taking you and your family captive. I mean, I was thinking, I'm going to the Middle East, should I go? You know you do that, straight to that? And God, as I prayed, I said, no. Well, thankfully, we've come back. He said, <laughs> said no, no. As an under-shepherd in this church, I'm, Jesus is protecting his church. He has warned us that this church's outcome isn't going to be dictated by people, but by, only by the king. And it's, I want you to know that. We take this very seriously, shepherding our church. And we're not doing it on our own. Jesus is helping us by his spirit. Amen. There's another dream I'm going to talk about in the new year. God speaks to us in dreams. So first thing, belief for dreams. Secondly, life is struggle. Life is struggle. And there's mystery in struggle. This story, this dream started with the wind blowing and the sea being churned and beasts emerging. No reason why. Some of you are, have got great forces amassed against you and it's a mystery why it's happening. Most of it is out of your control. It's too big for you. You're too small. Just like Daniel observing that. He's got glory in his soul, but this is too big. It's, it's terrifying. Life is struggle and there's mystery. Life is not a playground. Don't believe that. It's a battleground. It's a battleground. Life is about setbacks, even defeats. As it was with the master, so it is with the servant. As it was with the teacher, so it is with the students. Jesus faced setbacks, even defeated at the cross. Don't be surprised if you encountered defeat this side of glory. Jesus did. Life is struggle. Some of us, we spectate. It's exquisitely painful watching people struggle, feeling helpless to help them. Some of us are the victims of great forces at work that you cannot resist. Some of us, sadly, are the protagonists. But through all that, there's always hope. Daniel had hope. He did see the ancient of days, the horn that was so small and yet so blasphemous and arrogant was defeated by the fire of God. And then the sun came and installed his kingdom. A kingdom is coming, a day is coming. There is always hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to say about God the Father, he is the one most commentators think is the ancient one, the ancient of days. And when we see an old man with grey hair, please, please, please don't think of like the old king of Gondor, who was like old grey hair, somewhat decrepit, blind eyes, not really knowing what's going on, relying on the loyalty of his subjects to hold him in power. That is not the vision of the ancient one. Just want to be really clear don't think frail old man clinging on, waiting for the sun to come through. That's, it's about purity and holiness. God the Father is powerful and just. His throne of justice is mightily mobile. He is ever-present. And he has a river of fire that he is going to unleash for justice. And however we feel about that right now, God the Father is good. And I just want you to know this also. His books are, will be opened. Not the book of life in here. This is recording the injustices that has happened and he will judge accordingly. And sometimes when you're facing struggle, you just got to trust, trust that God is just. Nothing is missed. Nothing is swept under the carpet. He sees it all. And finally, I really want you to see God the Son. 
the Son of Man, who's going to come in the clouds. When we hear that trumpet sound, we're going to go and be with him, and we're going to be made like him, and we're going to enjoy him eternally, and we're going to be obedient from our heart with full of joy, and exploring this vast universe for his glory and for our benefit eternally. A kingdom will be established. A fourth, a fifth kingdom, if that's how it's going to work, is going to be established where Jesus is king. There is a big story we need to live with. This, what I really want to get you this, there is another kingdom coming. Please, would you live accordingly? Please live with the expectation that a new kingdom is here and will be fully established in days, ages to come. We've got to live with that story. God's big story is important to us because it sets in context what we experience today. We need to be a people who dream. We are going to be a people who struggle. And in our struggles against things that are too big for us to control, we need to know God the Father and understand that God the Son is going to come and establish his kingdom. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. That is a work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. So if you're able to, please could you stand, musicians, if you could come up. I just want to pray in a few moments. If you could put your masks on, if you're standing, we're going to start singing. We've deliberately had a shorter message, shorter meeting for this moment where we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We are exiles. We're waiting for another kingdom. Powerful forces are arrayed against us. But the Ancient of Days is our Heavenly Father. And the Son of Man is our King. And His kingdom is being established. Holy Spirit, here we are. Here we are. We stand. Come now, Holy Spirit.